Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. One of the greatest parts of being a follower of Jesus is personal transformation you can experience when you become part of the kingdom of God. For some, it's subtle, yet for others, it is radical, changing every area of their lives. For all of us, if we desire it, God wants to change many areas of our lives. If only you were willing to open yourself up to Him. While we often doubt that's possible in our own lives, the Lord often gives us examples of it. In Daniel chapter 3, we see a powerful God-hating man become incredibly changed by God. Here's Pastor Jim in part 2 of his message, A Major Disruption. Many of you know the story. I got an email from a guy one time, a pastor out on Long Island, who heard me on the radio and asked me if I was, he identified my brother and sister's name. And 10 years before I was a Christian, they were out at the end of my driveway praying that I would become a Christian. Don't give up on people. Jesus doesn't give up on you, does he? We have no right to give up on people. So what he does is Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel get together. They put the conclusion at the introduction of the story, and then the rest of the chapter is sort of a flashback. We could say that, that in chapter 2, God reveals. In chapter 3, God rescues. And in chapter 4, it will be clear to all of us that God rules. That's the theme, but there's a couple mini-type themes because in chapter 4, we also see one man's journey from pride to humility a journey that every single one of us has to take if we want to go to heaven. And this is the hard journey for us to take, to drop our pride and to be willing to give our hearts and our lives and our trust to Jesus Christ. It's a journey that many of us in this room have taken. It's a journey many of you watching online have taken. It's, it's a journey that someone is praying for you if you haven't taken it, that you will take it as God works in your life. And let me tell you, there is no doubt he will work in your life. The question is, do you want him to work in your life? I've said it to you before, the girl that brought me to church who had walked away from the church said the reason that she'd went out with me because she knew of all the guys she knew, I was the least likely to come to faith. <laughs> That's what she told me. You never know. So if you're taking notes after that very long introduction, three conclusions we see as the kingdom of self is defeated by the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God invades and disrupts a life. Number one, the kingdom of God offers peace to all people. The kingdom of God offers peace to all people. Verse one, Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's writing after the fact, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, this is what he's, he's writing to all the people. This is he's actually sending this letter out. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. Let me stop there for one second. This is the kind of stuff that puts a lump in my throat 
This reminds me of the book of Revelation. When all these different people from all these different tribes and tongues and countries and and stuff like that is all gathered around and we are singing worthy is the lamb. The first church that I went to that these people brought me to was in New York City, which is, you know, had people of all different nationalities and all different skin colors. And, and, and just, you know, you'd see, you'd see a person who looked homeless sitting next to some guy in a, you know, in a $3,000 suit and wearing a Rolex watch and stuff like that. I remember walking in there thinking, I, what do these people have in common? And then they told me what they did have in common. This king that they had in common. And so I have this picture in my mind of, of, of being in heaven. And the only real picture I have is, is, I want, is I want Pam standing next to me. But I hope that everybody else around me is completely different than me. And they're singing in a different language. And I understand everything that they're saying as we're praising God together. One of my friends went to Haiti after the earthquake they had there many years ago and the mission that was out there opened up the, for a church service to the town people and all the town people came out and they were worshiping God. They had a worship service. There was music and there was a sermon. And I asked my friend about it when he got back. He kind of a tough guy, army guy, and not a real emotional guy. And he got kind of emotional. And he said, it was the most beautiful sermon, the most beautiful service I was ever at in my life. They lost everything, these people, man. They lost everything. And they were worshiping God. And they were raising their hands. And they had great joy. And they were all excited during the sermon. And I said, did you understand it? He said, not a word. But man, to see what God was doing in their lives was so amazing. I I don't know about you, man, but I look forward to that day. All of this, this stuff about people being different and different color skin and different languages and, 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 the, and the racism and the way people look at each other. Quite, can I be honest with you? It absolutely disgusts me. It disgusts me. It disgusts me before I was even a Christian, but now it really disgusts me that it exists among God's people. They say that Sunday morning, the most segregated place on the planet is church. That is gross. That is disgusting. It should never be that way. So he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Some versions say, may you prosper greatly. May your prosperity increase. In the ancient world, prosperity was not just money. That's the way we talk about it. It was the overall well-being of people. He's saying, I want the overall well-being for all people. Does that sound like a guy who is rolling over nations? Now, it might seem like he's bragging here, but he's not. He is the most powerful man in the known world. And in some ways here, he is acting like a missionary, bringing the gospel of peace to the world. And here, this brutal man has the humility to say, this is the real decree. This is the message. This is the life I should have been living all along. In effect, he is saying, I have good news to share with all of you. Good news of another king. 
king who is kind, a king who is generous, a king who is loving, a king who is caring, a king who is merciful and full of forgiveness. It's like he's saying, I was your king, but I was not a father to you. And I want to tell you about a king who is a true father, a true loving father. Loved ones, this is how God has chosen to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. People telling other people about the king. People telling other people about Jesus. As we often say, we're just beggars telling people where the bread can be found. Now you might say, well, I don't have that kind of influence. I don't have that kind of platform. But how did it start in Nebuchadnezzar's life? Four teenagers. Four teenagers talking to the most powerful man in the world. And as many of you know, when I was 28 years old, working on a job site as a very, very high-paid consultant. It was a 17-year-old kid working for minimum wage who had a different color skin than me who told me about Jesus Christ. And I may have heard it a thousand times in my life before, but it was the first time I ever heard it. The power, friends, is not in you. The power is in the gospel. The power is in the message. And it's important that God puts no limits on the people he can reach. Only we do that. And I want to repeat that again like I did to the last service because it's so important we get it. The power is not in you. The power is not in me. The power is in the crucified king, crucified for our sins in our place on a cross so that all who would put their trust in him would never have to pay for their sins because your bill is marked already paid. And how important to remember it is that God puts no limits on the people he can reach. Let me ask you, how many people do you know like Nebuchadnezzar are mass murderers? This guy is an Osama bin Laden. How many people do you know are like the Ninevites? A terrorist organization. How many people do you you know are like Saul of Tarsus, arresting Christians, carrying them off to prison? We don't know anybody like that. Oh, but my brother-in-law, oh, he told me, Christianity is a crutch. Really? You know, I tell people when they tell me it's a crutch, I go, that's 100% wrong. Jesus Christ is my legs, man. He's the only reason, as we're reading a couple minutes, that I can even hope to stand before a holy God. He's a lot more than a crutch. He's everything. And now Nebuchadnezzar sees it that God has intended the message of the good news of peace to reach all of the earth. 
Notice he says, peace be multiplied to you. 600 years later, the apostle Paul will talk about peace in a much deeper sense. Romans chapter five, verse one and two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, those who've put their trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. You see, we didn't have it before. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you don't have peace with God. And it's not because God's like, well, you're my enemy. No, 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 God says, I'm your enemy. You're the one who doesn't like me. So how can you get it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, through whom, through Jesus, also we, those who will put our trust in Jesus, have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Remember, hope means what? Certainty. Hope in the Bible is not like, well, I kind of hope it works out for you. It's not that. It's certainty. It's confidence that if you put your trust in Jesus, you can stand in front of of a holy God. The scripture says our God is a consuming fire. The scripture says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But if your trust is in Jesus Christ, you can know that you can stand before him. Well, that's number one. The kingdom of God offers peace to all people. Number two, the kingdom of God brings personal transformation to its subjects. Verse two, he says to them, Notice he gets personal. I thought it good. He's writing, to, he's writing to the whole land. I thought it good, or, or it was my pleasure to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God, he's using biblical language. Remember, that's what Abraham and Melchizedek were talking about in our studies about in the life of Abraham, that the most high God has worked for me. He personalizes it. Here, Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I've seen what God can do in the world, but also I've seen what he can do in my own life. This is an amazing thing for the most powerful man in the world to admit. That I've seen what God can do for me. I mean, just think about it. I'm going to pick on one group of people that I really don't like. There's not many people I don't like. I remember one time I was in my office and some people in my office were talking about people, you know, whether they like some of the other coworkers or not. And I walked in and, and, and I go, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, we're talking about who we like and who we don't like. And the office manager goes, we didn't ask you because you like everybody. <laughs> I want to tell you people, one person I don't like. I don't like internet trolls. Are any of you internet trolls? Please repent. Please. I want to love you. I just have this picture of these guys, you know, they're just they're living in a dark basement. They're trolls. That's what trolls live. You know, mom and dad are like, you should get a job. You should get out of the house. Do something with your life. You're like, I am. I'm an internet troll. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and they disagree with everything, no matter what it is. They're critical. What do you like better, chocolate or vanilla? I like chocolate. Oh, you should like vanilla. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, they just disagree on everything. Prideful nobodies who think they are mightier than God. But there's plenty of people who are not internet trolls who are like that, right? Prideful people who think they're better than God. And here, the man who is the head of the world's superpower says, that guy ain't me anymore. That's not me anymore. 
I'm not that guy. He says, in fact, I'm writing to tell you about the greatness and power of the most high God. He's already seen signs and wonders. He's already had dreams interpreted. He's already seen guys come out of the fiery furnace. But over the next two weeks, we're going to see why he says what he says, because God gets very personal with him. And isn't that just like the Lord? I mean, he just gets so personal sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes you read your Bible and you're like, oh. <laughs> Passage you've read a hundred times before. And I'll say, yeah, yeah. Or you read about some, some character in the Bible and you're like, oh, yeah, Lord, look at that guy. And the Lord's like, yeah, you're kind of like that sometimes too. Personal. Or you realize how much God loves people in the Bible and God's like, you know, you're not always that much aware of that. Notice he says, I thought it good or, or my pleasure to tell you the great things God has done in my life. That should be all of our attitudes. We should be willing to share the wonderful things that God has done for us. Do you know the wonderful things God has done for you? Do you have it in your one-minute elevator speech? You know how they talk about that? If you're in sales, you know what that is. You got one minute. That's it. We gave you the gospel card a couple weeks ago. That's your one-minute gospel card. So if you get a two-minute elevator ride, you know, so what floor? You know, 85th. Oh, let's talk. <laughs> you got two minutes. What God did in your life in the gospel speech. If they're like third floor, you got the gospel speech. <laughs> you know, if the pilot says, we are now beginning our descent, you got the gospel speech. That's all you got. That's more important. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, you're watching us, you're listening, I, sometimes you hear people talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. I, I understand when people say that to you, you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I, people told me about that for years. I was like, I, I don't know what the guy's talking about. Personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, I, I heard of him, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. This is part of it that you know that there's something that God has done in your life that is unique to you. Remember, we often say, there's one way to God, Jesus Christ, but there's many ways to Jesus. Jesus it's like Jesus customizes everything for you to get you to come to him. And then when you're studying your Bible or you're praying or you're doing something, or as we're doing here today, you know, people, I get emails from people all week long. You know, God really told me this, you know, when you were talking about this on Sunday, and I'm thinking, I didn't talk about that. <laughs> God was talking to you about that. And, and Jesus will customize a lot of stuff for us. So what happens is in this personal relationship with Jesus, there's, there's divine intervention when we know that God was involved. We know it. And we begin to talk with God. And Nebuchadnezzar is just willing to tell the story of how God changed his life. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in Mark chapter five. Gosh, I love this story. I read it so many times. It's a man who was possessed by many demons. His name was Legion. Everybody was afraid of him. I mean, nobody wanted to go near the dude. You know, Jesus walks up to him. He's like, ah, we know who you are. You know, he's, he's got all these different demons. And, and Jesus is just like, hey, man, you... You're okay. He says to the demons, you, you got to get out of town. 
And all the people were so afraid of this guy. When Jesus healed them, do you know what they told Jesus to do? You think they'd be like, hey, we got some more miracles. We want you to work, right? They all said to him, would you please leave? You scare us, Jesus. And so this is what we read, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And when he got into the boat, when Jesus got into the boat, you don't want me here, I'll leave, okay. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Tell them the personal story and how he has had compassion on you. Now you think that's kind of mean. Like the guy wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, you can't go. It's like, uh, I was in a small group one time. We were talking about Zacchaeus. And Jesus walks into town, and, and that, you can read about that in Luke's gospel. And, 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 and Jesus walks past everybody and walks up to Zacchaeus. I said to everybody in my small group, how would you feel if you were one of the people when Jesus, Jesus just walked by you? And you know what they all said? He would never walk by me. He would never walk by me. I was the only one who would admit that. You think, oh, man, Jesus, Jesus said no to the guy. But Jesus gave him instructions. Don't go home all sourpussed. Ah, I can't, doesn't want me to go with him? Fine. No, he says a simple thing to him. He says, you go and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim into capitalists, that means the 10 cities, all that Jesus has done for him and all marveled. Now, let's fast forward three chapters, Mark chapter 8. We're not really told exactly this is what happened, but we all told that he went to tell everybody and they all marveled. Remember, they kicked Jesus out in chapter 5. He comes back in chapter 8 and thousands of people come to meet Jesus. I find it almost impossible to believe there's no connection between that and a guy who said, let me tell you what he did for me and how he had compassion on me. And the people were like, why did we tell him to leave? We're going to get this guy back. How exciting it is for all of us, and it should be, when we see the Lord personally working in the lives of each other. Let me ask you this. When is the last time or have you ever walked up to somebody and said, you know, I really see God working in your life? That's what we should be doing after service. Talking about Jesus, talking about what he's doing, not talking about, ah, oh, it's going to be a hot one today. What is, what is that? In your small group, you see people that are really growing. Are you telling them? Are you encouraging them? In your ministry, are you really encouraging them? After the first service, person after person after person walking out telling me that, that how much they love the music. I go, don't tell me, tell them. I mean, it's nice for me to hear it, but go tell them. And if they go to you, well, I'm pretty awesome, then come back and tell me. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, well, some of you are mean. The guys in the band are laughing more than anybody. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saved from the fiery furnace and affected him deeply. 
Saul of Tarsus, the hater of Christians in the church, he saw the grace of God upon Stephen when he was murdered by the religious leaders. You can read about it in Acts 7 and 8 and then how the story progresses in in chapter 9. But that's not what converted the apostle Paul. What converted him was the personal experience of the Lord's power and grace in Acts chapter 9 when he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. When Christ actually said to him, hey man, why are you persecuting me? Interesting, you say he's persecuting the church. That's how closely God identifies with us. And he says to him, Paul, we're gonna talk now just about what's going on with you. So many people have the Lord all wrong that he wants to transform our lives in a tremendously positive and personal way, bringing peace to our hearts. The reality is that the Lord often uses a major disruption in our lives with the goal of bringing us to a place of perfect peace with him and peace with ourselves. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.